Women as One promotes talent in medicine by bringing the unique talents of women to the forefront. We believe that, as one, women can use their collective voice to change the landscape of medicine. I'm Carolyn Lam. I'm a senior consultant cardiologist at the National Heart Center in Singapore and a professor with the Duke National University of Singapore. And in case my voice sounds familiar, well, I'm also the voice of Circulation on the Run, which is a podcast summary, and that takes time for the editors of Circulation. It goes back to me playing as a child in the clinic of my own mother. So my mom is a successful private practice pediatrician, and she had to bring up my sister and I while being a working mom. So what that meant is that a lot of the early days of my childhood was spent playing at her feet in her clinic while she saw patients. And I suppose um, from there, all I knew was medicine and I loved the way my mom helped people and I wanted to do the same. I'll never forget when I was a kid, my mom taught me to do my own inhaler therapy because I was asthmatic. And so um, I think I was able to do my own inhaler therapy with the nebulizers in her clinic even before I was able to read or write, I believe. So that's how I became a doctor. But how I became a cardiologist, I, I wish it was a more glamorous story, but it's, it's more, frankly, just finding myself in the right place in the right time. So as I was doing medicine, knowing that I definitely wanted to be a doctor, I think my first love was actually infectious disease. And as I got to know it and, and you know, the subject that I did best in the school was surgery, I just started realizing that there is such a thing as a lifestyle choice too, especially if we want to be working and be able to maintain the family and bring up kids, that, that I have to have a job that allowed me to have periods of adrenaline rush, but at the same time, also the more stable outpatient uh, type of lifestyle. So there are only a few disciplines in medicine that allow you to use your hands, have the emergencies, and also have the sort of stable chronic disease. And cardiology is one of them. My name is Dr. Martha Galati, and I'm the Chief of Cardiology at University of Arizona here in Phoenix. I am also the editor of CardioSmart for the American College of Cardiology, which is the patient education arm of the college. You know, there's kids who grow up saying that they want to be a physician, and, and yes, I was one of those. I used to, I somewhat idolized my grandfather, who was a physician, and so I think I walked around, they tell me, since the age of three, telling people that I, too, was going to be a doctor, just like my grandfather. But I will say that probably more important for me was why I wanted to be a cardiologist, which was pretty young in my life, I guess, or in my training, there's a certain point where I realized that um, there was a lot of heart disease in my family, but the men lived with heart disease. Unfortunately for me, I realized at a young age that there was no woman in my family that would live past the age of 50. They would either die from heart disease or from stroke. And I never really understood why. And then I was in medical school and I realized there that, you know, at that Point, this very famous and amazing woman named Dr. Nanette Wanger came to University of Toronto and spoke 
and I happened to be in the lecture and I heard about how we knew nothing about women. And then it kind of clicked. I was like, okay, so we know nothing about the number one killer. I kind of assumed we knew things about such a common disease. And that was something that was really eye-opening for me. And literally by the end of her lecture, I knew what I was going to be. I wasn't just going to be a doctor. I knew, I started saying from that day forward, I was going to be a cardiologist. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think for cardiology in particular, to bring the focus on women and heart disease, it really did take women in the field. It's not to say that men haven't contributed. There's many amazing male cardiologists out there that have contributed to what we know about women and heart disease. But I will say that the leadership, the turn, the, the focus all really started with amazing women, people like the Bernadine Healy's, the Nanette Wangers, the Noelle Barry Mertzes, the Judith Hoffman's, the Roxana Moran's. These are the people that really started asking the questions and saying, what can we do to know more? So I think the leadership, when we as women care about the health issues that affect us, obviously we're going to change the focus and we're gonna make these questions be answered. So hi, I'm Tonya Singh. I am a private practice cardiologist in St. Louis. I've been in this role for the last 15 years. I am also the incoming chair for the Women in Cardiology for the AC starting this year. I'm chief of medical staff at one of the hospitals I work at, and I'm on the local board uh, for the American Heart Association. So I think I, al- I knew that uh, as far back as four or five, I always was interested in science. I think my mother might have been an influence she was somebody who wanted to be a physician but never actually got to do that. She was always interested in science. I think there was an influence there. And then as I grew older, when I was 14, my dad had coronary bypass grafting. He was 47. And I think that was another turn in my life that helped me kind of think about, you know, the heart in particular, but also just medicine in general. And after that, I was very certain that that's what I wanted to do as a career. I have to say my, my dad's uh, doctors were great. But my mother, I remember, come, came home and said, you know, there's two kinds of doctors, one to do a good job, but one to do a good job and try to explain things to the family member and reassure them. And that's something that has stuck with me forever. Because you can do a good job, but until you communicate with the people who are going through that process, you can change people's lives. You can change how they react and deal with that episode. And so for me, it has always been about your long-term relationship with a patient. I think that I would probably not be a great person for shift work. I like the fact that I know what happened to my patient, what happened to them the next year, what happened to them 15 years from then. So those relationships are very important to me. So I was fortunate enough to get in. I do have to admit that there were some people who tried to talk me out of going to cardiology because I had a child in residency. So I had a two-year-old when I started my cardiology fellowship. And many people said to me, like, you know, are you sure this is the path you want to take? You have a very young child at home. You know, my husband's a physician, very supportive. That was never anything he said. But, you know, it was, it was just trying to explain to people, like, you know, this is what I love and this is what I want to do. And nobody asked me if I was capable of doing it. It was all about, should I do it because of my life circumstances, even though I had a very supportive partner? Well, heart failure really epitomizes the entire spectrum um, from the real emergency cases where you're dealing, for example, with a peripartum cardiomyopathy and and you're afraid to lose both mother and having a newborn who needs the mom. You know, those those kind of high adrenaline states to also the chronic end stage where, where frankly our goal is more to 
walk with the patient in the final days of their life, ensure comfort and um, palliative care. So I like that entire spectrum, but built on that as well is, is I'm, I'm basically a geek and I love hemodynamics. So the whole idea of physics and, and how flow occurs and cardiac output and heart rate and all of that stuff really turns me on. So heart failure was a great fit that way. The other thing that really got me into heart failure is at the time when I was training, diastolic heart failure or HEPPEP, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, uh, was still an entity that many people didn't believe existed. And, you know, the fact that it predominantly affected women and we didn't have any therapies for it really, really got to me. With that and with having the best mentor a girl could ever have in Dr. Margaret Redfield, that really, really sealed my career in heart failure. When I joined University Cardiology, that was years ago, I was actually the first woman to join in the history of University Cardiology in Singapore. And it was frankly just lonely. There's this sense that you have to live up to expectations, not be a weak link, be one of the boys. And yet I'm clearly not one of the boys. So it's sort of the stress of trying to prove myself even more was something that actually came from myself. And not sure if I really needed it, but that was stressful. And then there are small little challenges, like I'm a lefty. So it was really challenging to go into the all-male environment of a cat lab and then be the first person to say, yeah, but I want to use my left hand and do everything the opposite way around. So so that, you know, little things like that were challenging. And frankly, I took on some challenges and gave in to others. For example, in the end, I cast my right hand. I just decided that's not a battle worth fighting. <laughs> my message to all women at whatever stage of training they're at, whether they're somebody in high school, someone in college, somebody in training, is there is room for women and the need for women in cardiology. It is a fantastic career for anyone, whether you're a scientist or researcher or somebody in public health. And it is also somewhat of a myth that you, you know, that as a woman, it's too hard or you can't do it. Cardiology can be what you make it. And you can truly have a job where you work part-time. You can have a job where you manage to not take call. Some people thrive on call. You can have that too. It's fun. It's full of procedures. It's full of fantastic imaging. It's using the latest technology. It's the most important part of medicine. Without the heart, you've got nothing. And so you're of incredible value to your hospital and your university and to your practices and your community if you are a cardiologist and you are a woman. But I think the idea of our community not being welcoming to women is completely a falsehood. There is a sisterhood that exists in our cardiology community with open arms waiting for women to join us. Certainly there is challenges. There's no denying that because, you know, it, it is a male-dominated field. Many of us had to play on the man's turf and figure out how to steer ourselves around those things. There's still a lot of blatant sexism in cardiology and specifically sometimes in our interventional areas, there is sometimes a more of what I call a locker room mentality. 
And we, we have to change that. That's why one, why I want more women in our field, because with more numbers, we're better able to change it. We also need more women in leadership positions. Myself as a chief of cardiology, I have a zero tolerance policy for any type of sexism or harassment to anyone. I really then have the ability to make change. And and that's what we need. We need more women in leadership positions so that we can make women feel very welcome and very safe. When I have the opportunity to talk to young female cardiology fellows, I tell them I'm very honest and open about my own issues. I was not able to get pregnant. I don't have children biologically. And, and it, it, it is, you know, definitely a regret for me, but now at least I can give advice to young women that if it was, if I could have gone back in time, I would have frozen some eggs and I would have, at least if I didn't know who my partner was going to be, because I was too focused on my training, you just sort of think you're forever young. Well, I think it's fair to ask yourself that question because, you know, it is your life and you should make decisions you know, based on what is best for you and your life and your family. But I don't think it's fair for people outside to ask you that question because the fact that you're applying for something like this is that you have given this thought. You know, we are all hopefully smart, sensible people. And we didn't get to the end of a medicine residency without considering the pros and cons of anything we're applying to. And I feel sometimes we, we can get disheartened because these are people we look up to and we have great respect for and their words mean a lot. So unless you are somebody who is very interested, but you hear from someone you have great respect for that this is not the best thing for you, you start questioning your own, you know, insight. Now, if this is not somebody at your institution or the place you're applying to, and it's someone who's an external mentor you're just having a discussion with who's trying to explain the pros and cons, it's a different thing. But if you're having this discussion with someone, you're, you're expecting them to write your letter or you're expecting them to be on your side when you're applying, it can be very disheartening. So I think one of the things that really attracted me personally to private practice was um, the fact that there is less of a hierarchy in private practice. So most practices tend to be not set up in a hierarchical manner. Most people have, you know, maybe one leader of the group, but then most of the other people in the group are kind of equal. Um, that really is true in my practice. We have actually 11 partners and all of us have equal say, and it makes some sometimes difficult conversations. But the other thing that I loved about being a flexibility. You know, you have a lot of flexibility in making your day as efficient as possible. Since we are not part of a hierarchy and I'm actually in a completely independent private practice, we don't work for any hospital or any institution, which is very rare nowadays. But, um, but if I want more help, I can hire more people. If I want less help, I can have less people. You know, um, I don't have to explain myself. I just have to explain myself to my partners to, you know, pitch why this is an efficient solution for our practice. I don't have to go through six layers of hierarchy to achieve efficiency. Wow, I think I'm going to borrow on my ancestors who said, you know, predict the future, learn from the past. And and one thing that I would hope for the future is to have a lot more women-to-women mentorship because in my past, that has been the absolute key in keeping me going. So I did mention Dr. Margaret Redfield, who was my first female mentor and really set me on the path. But the kind of mentor who is so selfless, so giving, such a role model, and, and just really launched me. I'm so grateful to her. And then just multiple role models after that, and showed me that it's possible 
to be really darn good at what we do academically and clinically, and yet be highly successful as a mom and in a, as a wife and in the household. It really becomes something that I yearn to do in my own life now. And so of, of the mentees that I have as a group, I, I have to say all but one. No, now two. Um, all but two are women. <laughs> so so it, it's the kind of paying forward that I think keeps going forward. And it, I, I would love to see in 10 years that it keeps doing that, that women support each other and help each other grow in the field. Well, it's interesting because I've been watching the numbers since really I left fellowship and it hasn't budged in the num- in terms of numbers, absolute numbers practi- of women practicing cardiology in the United States. And, you know, we've all been focusing, trying to figure out how do we do this? Is it a pipeline issue? No, it's not because we have 50% of women now in internal medicine. So why are they not choosing cardiology? So I don't know. I guess I wish I had a crystal ball. I guess if I got to to make a wish, yes, I hope it's a floodgate. And I hope that someday we'll be talking about more women in cardiology than men, or at least equal representation. I think we all, men and women, need to be in cardiology, need to be taking an active step to make our cardiology community to look more like our society. And when we engage in that process, it's gonna make a better environment for everyone. One of the things that's really important to me is whatever we do, it has to be actionable. So, you know, we will get most people engaged with us if we give them actionable information. Because, you know, we can sit around and talk around the table all day, but unless people feel like they took away something that they can go and apply to their life, we are not going to be as successful. So, you know, teaching skills about, you know, just negotiating, you know, we are working on radiation safety, which a paper with with multiple societies, which will help women make more sensible decisions about, you know, risks and benefits of doing their job while they're pregnant. You know, we are really, we've had a lot of talk about coming up with a way to inform program directors that you're pregnant or inform your employer that you're pregnant. Because, you know, and, and us also help let employers know how they can respond when somebody tells them they're pregnant. And that's something we are working on because that is something practical and a very uncomfortable thing for most of us when we have to go do that. So hopefully we are coming up with actionable, practical steps that impact women in academia and in private practice and in training that makes the process simpler for them so that these pain points can be somewhat better.